Our first message this afternoon is from Mr. Art Williams. It is entitled, Focus on Success. Art. We've got the game plan. We know what to do. We know how to do it and what to do. And now we must execute. We must be mentally tough. We must be focused. We must have heart. We must be dedicated, loyal, sincere, and committed. And we must be strong and we'll carry today. And we'll win this game, says the football coach to his team before the game starts. But all those principles are scriptural. They may be summed up in one scripture that says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. God's plan begins in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. It ends with the new heaven and earth, heavenly Jerusalem, and the last enemy being destroyed, that being death. And the game plan, as outlined for the Great Commission in Mark 16, 15 through 16, he says, go into all the world, the scope of the work, the world, and preach. That's the action of the work to be done. And he that believes is baptized, part of the work, shall be saved. In the parallel in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. So there's a little more insight into the commission. Teach, scope of the word, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And so the work that began in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve entered a new phase. The apostles recognizing the change from the past when it was national Israel that was to be the centerpiece had a question for the Lord. And they came together and they asked him in Acts 1 verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times nor the season which the Father has put in his own power. And it's interesting to study the history of that time when Jesus was just a young boy. Because for 30 years before he was born, the area was in turmoil with Roman and Jewish wars. And in 6, <clears throat> 6 CE, Judea became a Roman province and Jesus was approximately 10 years old. And he said nothing about these political events of the day. What is the commission actually accomplishing? The scope of the work, the worldwide work? To bring individuals into the family of God, to make heirs, to create the bride of the Lamb, to create saints, and to comprise the army of God. And the teachings, the admonitions, and the encouragement and the instructions that are given to us are to help us to become heirs, part of the bride, saints, and part of the army. And one visionary in the scriptures was Abraham, thousands of years before the book of Revelation was ever written. In Hebrews 11, 8 through 10, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So he was an inheritor. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. 
And by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was focused on the future. He was looking to the future. He was concentrating on it. It was part of his goal, his ambition. Continuing in verses 13 and 14, it says, These all died in the faith, not having received the things promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar. That's interesting. He saw them, whether he got a, had a vision given to him by God, or it was a revelation of what we read today in the book of Revelation uh, about the heavenly Jerusalem coming down and a new heaven and a new earth. Abraham comprehended it. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Abraham did not think of himself as a Chaldean or any other nationality. And indeed, there are no nationalities, national distinctions in the kingdom of God. We'll get to that scripture a little later. But continuing in verse 16 of Hebrews 11. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The desire, again, focus, goal. You know, young people have desires. They have desire to graduate from high school, go to college, get a job, get married, have children, all of these. And they're good to have those desires. But to desire to have a better country is even more significant than all of those goals. Because as good as this country is, there's a lot of heartache and a lot of heartbreak. In the better country that's coming, the heavenly one, little babies won't be devoured by alligators. There won't be home invasions. There won't be the violent crimes, which we could go in in detail. There won't be all of those negative things that are happening. But the interesting statement is the last sentence in the scripture, because therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By implication, then, if we restate this in the negative, we could say they desire their current country that is not a heavenly one. Therefore, God is ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. You see, the current country that we live in, as good as it is and as blessed as it is, can't compare to the heavenly city, to the new heaven and new earth that's going to be coming. Our focus on the game plan of getting there, our mental toughness, our heart, our dedication, our loyalty, our strengths, will help us get there. Looking forward helps us to achieve those goals. Looking forward to the city built by God will help us enter that city, help us to become part of his bride, become an heir. Abraham was desiring a better country. 
not a physical one. He thought of himself as a pilgrim, and God was not ashamed of him. There's no country on earth, no matter how great or how good, that has the blessings that the kingdom of God will, will bring. And it's probably exemplified best by the scripture that identifies where the lion will lay down with the lamb. And how great is that? And the attitudes that Abraham displayed are, are confirmed by New Testament scriptures. In Galatians 3, 27 and 28, for as many of you that have been baptized in the Christ have put on Christ, next verse, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, for there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. No national, national distinction. Matthew 6, 9 through 10, after this manner, therefore pray, our Father that is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. There's a time when I, while I would pray that, I really didn't mean that because I was focused on the physical. And I didn't apprehend the difference and the benefits of, of the heavenly kingdom. But her focus and her desire should be on that and we should be able to pray that. Thy kingdom come. We mean it sincerely and see the benefits that it will bring to this world that is in turmoil. And continuing in Titus 3, verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope. Hope, another aspect of focus, looking to the future, fulfilling your dreams. Part of maintaining dedication, part of maintaining loyalty, part of maintaining commitment. There are many admonitions given in the scriptures. I'm not going to go through them by scripture. I'm just going to read uh, some of them. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. Strive. That's activity. That's dynamic. It's not passive. It's not sitting around. Oh, I hope the kingdom of God gets here. It doesn't look like it's going to be here next week or anything, but I guess I'll just uh, I guess I'll go out and mow the grass today. No, it's dynamic. You're striving. And narrow is the way, not going out and following every little whim that comes along, every possible way, evaluating the path, the direction, whether that's part of the wide gate or is it the narrow gate. And it goes on to say that he rewards them that diligently seek him. There is another dynamic word, diligently, not passively, not arbitrarily, diligently, with focus, with drive, with commitment with determination and to avoid entanglements of this world and there are many entanglements we can see them in our jobs or we certainly can see them politically economically socially and religiously and we can get off the track by these entanglements and that becomes a matter of a priority and it can the entanglements will be a distraction it's probably one of the biggest threats that we have as Christians are distractions in this world. We're given admonition to do good and to seek peace and to seek first the kingdom of God and to become perfect as your Father in heaven and let the mind of Christ be in you. The opening scripture that I read about love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength 
are the key tools. Your heart, the center of the values of dedication, loyalty, commitment. The mind, center of intellectual understanding and the strength. To be led by the spirit. Led by the spirit. Not following the physical and the carnal. It says in the scriptures, my sheep know my voice. And that voice, it says in the Old Testament, is a still, small voice. That still, small voice is very easily drowned out by entanglements in the world, by being passive, by Laodiceanism. We're going to get to another aspect of how that voice is drowned out here in just, just a minute. But being sensitive to that still small voice, I, I, I personally find myself missing the still small voice so often. Sometimes I hear it, but I just simply don't listen to it because my focus isn't right. Part of those reasons are because of emotions. Emotions are a very big controller in people's lives and people's attitudes. And part of getting around that is exercising the fruits of the Spirit. The scripture back in Isaiah, and I didn't write it down, it was referenced by Matt Steele a few weeks ago. It talks about exercising the fruit of the Spirit and using the fruit of the Spirit. And of course we know from James, show your faith by your works. These are the things to strive, to diligently seek him and his reward. Even if you're looking for a job or if you already have a job, look for opportunities on that job to be a witness, to be something different from the rest of the people on the job, going above and beyond, contribute more, apply biblical and Christian values and principles in the performance of your job. We went through diversions and Laodiceanism. Anger and fear, two of the most prevalent emotions that are distractions for people. And in our society today, they're probably worse than they've ever been. I mean, I, not having lived back in the 1700s or in the year 60, I have no idea to compare. But it says there are three, two or three basic principles for overcoming anger. Identify your triggers and then avoid those triggers. Well, our society almost makes it impossible to avoid the triggers. If you're going through a divorce and a custody suit for the children, it drags on for months and it has very agonizing consequences. And to follow the advice of be angry and sin not, don't let the sun go down on your anger, is very hard to follow because every time you go to court, every time you have one of those incidents come up, you, you can find yourself back in the angry environment again. The same thing with talk radio. 
if you, no matter, I don't care whether you listen to liberal left or far right. You've turned into that every day and you get angry because of what they say. And it says, be angry and sin not. Okay, don't let the anger go down on your, on your, on your wrath. And don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So you, so you put it out of your mind that day and then you turn in the radio the next day. You're right back where you were. And then there's fear. Never-ending fear. Real and imagined. Sometimes we scare ourselves. Because sometimes what happens to us in our future is because of our failures in the past. Failure to use the supports and the admonitions or embracing the opposite attitude, which can result in negative consequences. In those negative consequences, can result in a condemning heart. In 1 John 3.21, it says, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. If our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. Trust, confidence. Faith, confidence. Dedication, loyalty, the commitment. If we state that in the inverse, we can say a condemning heart destroys confidence in God. And once you lose your confidence in God, then you can go down a whole different half of emotions and thoughts and most of them are destructive god is punishing me you can go down the you can go down the road there oh i've sinned and you go and you pray to god and you say i'm sorry god forgive me and he does but the problem is you don't forgive yourself and you're still laboring under this and this negative emotion is there and every little bad thing that happens is like that's because I let that happen. And for me, personally, I know I'll think I've overcome something. And maybe years go by, and all of a sudden this thing comes crawling out of the box and whap. And then I feel like, ah, I feel terrible. I feel absolutely terrible. And I really get down in myself. Why? Because I have too much confidence in the flesh. Why did I ever think I got rid of it? Do we ever really get rid of it? In the right situation, that old carnality buried down in there can come crawling back out and we lose our confidence and, and trust in God. We have too high of an opinion of our expectation of ourselves sometimes. Not relying enough on him. The psalmist, in Psalm 51.10, it says, he writes, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I find that comforting when I run into those situations where I'm losing confidence in God because of my own actions and because of my own shortcomings. And it's also a very good learning experience because you can see 
if you're sensitive to it, that still small voice will come through and it'll put, it'll connect the dots for you. So you can see exactly what happened. Because when you lose confidence in God, you can open yourself up for attacks from the dark side. And if you can keep your focus, get rid of the anger, get rid of the emotions, get rid of the fear, listen for that still small voice, it'll connect the dots. It'll show you God hasn't, hasn't condemned you, God has forgiven you. And it'll get to your mind and you'll see, I'm the problem, I haven't forgiven myself. Why am I running around in this cesspool thinking God's doing bad things for me when I'm the problem because I've lost my confidence in God? You can never let that happen. Or avoid letting it happen as much as you possibly can. Paul has the answer to it in Romans 7, 22 through 25. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. It's always there. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And that's, I'm not saying that we do that all the time, but that's the, that describes the situation where this thing that we thought we have overcome comes crawling out of the box and blindsides us, and then we feel badly about ourselves. But I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. But his grace and his love and his mercy are always there and they are still active and they're there to help us. And the purpose of everything that we just went through, everything, is for one goal. One great goal. The kingdom of God coming to the earth. The resurrection, the marriage of the Lamb, the wedding supper. It says in Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation, hold it, hold it, stop right there. What stops the tribulation? It says immediately after the tribulation, what stops the tribulation? It says that the, at the last trump, the dead in Christ shall rise. There are six other trumps before the last trump. But it says immediately after the tribulation, he gathers the saints. Interesting timing there, worthy of a study if you have never done it. Continue in verse 30, the next verse. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. What's the sign of the Son of Man? What's the sign of the Son of Man that they're going to see? There is a sign that's given, three days and three nights, the sign of Jonah. There's another sign that Paul talks about in Corinthians. It has to do with tongues. But all the earth shall mourn because they see the sign of the Son of Man and they see him coming in power and glory. And so they recognize what is happening. And he sends out his, his angels to gather his elect at that time. Matthew, continue in Matthew 24, 31. He sends out his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. 
and they shall gather the elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And continuing in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17, and the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead of Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Okay, the dead in Christ rise first. And then we which are alive and remain. How many times does he go around the earth? If he's going to rise all of the dead first, then he's got to go around the earth once first, raise all the dead. And then he's got to go around a second time and change all those that are alive. Or does he do it regionally? I don't know. I suspect he goes around twice. Maybe three times. Maybe that's the sign. <laughs> I don't know. And in Revelation 15, too, it says, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And in Revelation 19, 1 through 6, the celebration over the resurrection. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. And it goes through verse 6, describing this celebration that's going on. And after this celebration comes the marriage supper, Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are true sayings. And it's interesting in Luke 12, 37, where he says, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find watching. Verily I say to you, that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come and serve them, most likely at the wedding feast. And in Matthew 26, 29, he says, but I will say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with you anew in my Father's kingdom. The first opportunity to do that is at the wedding feast. And continuing in Revelation 19, 11 through 14, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and righteous. He doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And skipping down to verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Who's clothed in white linen, fine and clean? The saints. It's previously described. It's the saints coming with him. And I'd like to wrap it up with Zechariah 14.4, where he says, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half the mountain 
shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. 